Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. <clears throat> I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. So I've been back a couple of weeks now almost from uh, World Championships in Ecuador and to coin a bit uh, that probably no one else has ever done. Here's my top 10 things I learned at the World Championships. Uh, number 10, not only is Team Seagate really, really good, they're pretty lucky. They hit the final paddle with the tide going out. They had plenty of water. River was going with them. Um, just, just perfect timing. Columbia a little bit later. You know, there was enough water to float their boats, but that was about it. Uh, number nine. Some people don't recover from uh, mentally when things don't go right. Number seven, no, number eight, uh, Ecuador is a really cool country uh, between the mountains and the jungles and the oceans. Uh, really, really, really mountainous and uh, an interesting transition. Three or four days into the race, we realize all of a sudden, hey, we're not in the mountains anymore. We're in the jungle. Um, and to go along with that with number six, uh, the people were really into the race in Ecuador, the locals. Um, at the TAs there might be four or five hundred people standing around and just watching forever all night long. Um, and there was always big crowds at the finish line. Uh, especially when the uh, a local team would finish. It was it was pretty cool. Uh, number five, after three or four days when you get all the media people together things get a little nuts. I'll just say all that. That's all we need to say about that. Four, three, um, the next one. Um, it's hard to follow a team if you do not have dedicated driver just for that team. Um, part of what I was doing was was trying to follow tech new, and it worked pretty good. But um, you know, it just there's sometimes when you make uh, have to make little. Little changes, little sacrifices. Um, overall, it worked really good. Let's see, this must be number four. Yeah, um, Ecuador is a pretty modern country. Between um, their oil um, and it seems to have a like a REA because most of the country seemed to be electrified, unlike uh, Costa Rica last year. So, uh, the brighter country. Number three, the Canadians are pretty photogenic. I think photos of Team Canada get more comments than anything else. Uh, number two, nothing phases Nathan Fave. I had rented a, a boat and went upriver to find him on the last paddle. And I come around a corner and there they are and Nathan's like, hey Randy, how's it going? Like, he knew I was coming. So maybe that's it. They're all psychics. And the number one thing I learned, and I, okay, I didn't learn it, but it was reinforced, is that uh, AR people are the best. It was just a great time. Um, racers, helpers, media, volunteers. Um, it never heard anything bad. So that's cool. So this week's guest is Rob Preston from Team Tech New. Um, now we can't make fun of them for not having been on the podcast. Um, coming up in the next few weeks will actually be some, some more of the racers from uh, Worlds. So hope you enjoy it. And these uh, you listen to Rob, and uh, you'll find out I had a very, very big part in his success or not. Um, go fast and take chances. Thanks for listening. Thank going here make sure all the buttons are pressed <laughs> i don't want to i've had enough uh excitement i don't know if people other people know this but the first time that kyle and i talked 
I didn't hit the record button. <laughs> uh, so couldn't have happened. We happen. had a good one. Yep. So um, looks like everything is working. Excellent. So how about that? So tell me this: which is harder, the jungle trek or flying back to Australia? Uh, definitely flying back to Australia. <laughs> so, uh, how many how many hours did that take you? Uh, I think total travel time was roughly about forty hours or thereabouts, two days. Yeah. Yeah. Flight time was uh, probably thirty hours or something like that. And I had a um, six hour stopover in LA on the way back. So, yeah, that's uh, that's rough. You needed one like Craig and, and uh, Louise had. They had 23 hours. They went to Disneyland. Yeah, I saw those pictures. <laughs> Looked like a fun way to spend your 40th birthday. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Sounded kind of cool. But So um, you kind of all recovered and, and uh, feeling good? Oh, yeah. Look, I'm actually feeling pretty good, as, as good as I've ever felt. A week out of an ex expedition race, I think. So, um, back at work the last uh, twelve-hour days, the last two days, and night shift the next two nights. So, certainly back into it and um, catching up on uh, some uh, parenting uh, time as well. Seeing as my uh, was fortunate to be able to get a three-week uh, leave pass. Uh, from my wife to go and race in Brazil, so make, I mean in Ecuador, but making up for it now. Yeah. So, uh, how long does it take? I mean, how long does it take your body to be ready to actually race hard again after after a race like Ecuador? Uh, look, I find it it takes quite a long time to get back to one hundred percent. I think I'll probably be at say ninety percent within a month. Um, five or six weeks, uh, but then for me to get to really back to 100%, it it takes like three months. About that. Uh, yeah. The other expedition race I did this year, Expedition Africa, I came straight home and I did a 40-hour adventure race the next week, and I performed okay. But then I decided to have pretty well two weeks off, which I don't think I've had a, an actual two-week break of doing hardly anything in uh, sort of 10, 15, 20 years of training. So, um, but I felt like I really needed it, and, uh, and then I bounced back really well from that race. So, yeah, just overuse your body. And is it just kind of like fatigue? I mean, you don't really have any physical issues, do you? I mean, it seemed like everybody kind of, you know, Physically was okay, but it's just it's just a lot of fatigue, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I, look, I have certainly come out of other races where I've had uh, you know, tendonitis in areas that took a while to recover. But out of this race, uh, yeah, the actual sort of the muscles and ligaments and joints and everything are, are in really good condition. And it's yeah, it's really the fatigue. But then I find that the races where you get really sleep deprived are the ones that take the longest to recover from and this race for uh, our team wasn't particularly bad because we kind of was a race in two parts and with a big break in the middle so I'm thinking that I should be able to recover um, a bit quicker than normal from uh, from this race yeah other than 12 hour shifts and then working 12 hour nights a couple of nights that ought to, that ought to help the recovery <laughs> yeah look I People sort of say, oh, well, yeah, it's kind of training for adventure racing, and it is in some respect, but there's nothing like getting a good night's sleep to help you recover. Uh, so, yeah, I, I find uh, I've, I've been a shift worker for only about two years, two, three years, and ever since I've found it quite hard to, uh, to read my body, to know where it's at in terms of fatigue. So... Yeah. Uh, you got to be sort of quite careful not to do too much. Yeah, yeah. Get get. You can get really worn down. I think with shift work, it's it's, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, 
you know, a lot of, I think you actually probably, I don't want to put this the wrong way, but you have more of a physical hard shift job, that shift work than a lot of racers seem to do. I mean, you don't find a lot of real hard, you know, manual labor people adventure racing, or at least I haven't. I mean, I'm sure there are, but do you think that that does kind of help you a little bit because you're, you have that extra layer of, uh, let's say, fatigue when you start to train? Uh, well, or in some respects it does, but when you're tired at work and I actually have to do quite a lot of walking and up and down stairs, it's a real drag when you when you are tired from training or just in general. Uh, it, it doesn't make it much fun when you sort of got to get out on your feet all the time. Uh, so it really depends where you are in your, in your training cycle, I think. If yeah. you're actually, like I actually took the chance to get out in the, the power station where I work with a pack and uh, did a few sessions of stair reps in the weeks leading up to going to Ecuador. In, in that respect, it was, uh, you know, using my own work time to get a few extra sort of strength work into the legs. but. If I'm focused on something a lot shorter and faster than that, then I'll try to stay off my feet as, as much as possible. Oh. So do you um, do your coworkers give you strange looks or do they, they understand what you what you do? Uh, look, a few of them have, uh, when I first started there, the, the Wild Races uh, TV series was just sort of made it to free-to-air television. So... A few of the guys I work with have watched that and, you know, would have some idea of what I do and uh, a lot of them would have no idea either. Uh, in terms of getting out with a backpack, climbing stairs, I'd try to do that on a night shift where there's uh, not many people around to see me. Yeah, not so many people to make fun of you, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, are you, this, is, this kind of interests me and I, and I have an idea, but are you a uh, a heart rate type trainer, or are you more just go out and and do something fun, but do it hard? Uh, look, I'm, I'm I mean, are you structured or training? But I still yeah. would be more inclined to be more like a the heart rate based guy rather than just go out on on your all day adventures as as you like to put it. Uh, I do have yeah. a uh, masters in exercise and sports science, but uh, would be my the worst uh, athlete to coach because I find it impossible to stick to a training program and just tend to do what <laughs> I think feels right at the time. Uh, but having trained for sort of shorter uh, duration sports for a long time, I, I try to focus my uh, training on getting in lots of short races and and doing shorter harder sessions rather than uh than sort of all day uh yeah. training i just sort of don't find that that's very time efficient either yeah well and you've got a family and a job and a life yeah <laughs> that, exactly that, that tends to get in the way of that right? yeah that's right i mean the the family side of it's only been you know for the last four months but uh i definitely do feel um that extra time is restraint and commitment now to be at home more yeah so well it means your priorities are right yeah <laughs> yeah so. so um well let's talk about worlds a little bit and then we'll then we'll go wherever we go but what's the one thing good or bad that really surprised you about ecuador and the race you know just you just would have never expected or just yeah, just something surprising. Well, I guess we were. Oh, the variety of the terrain was uh, was talked about, but until you actually travel to a country, uh, I don't think you can really uh, understand that. But it, the different sort of climates and the different uh, terrains in uh, Ecuador was was quite incredible and. Uh, the, you know, the diversity as you went across the, the country and, and I'm sort of often wonder about how the the uh, relationships or the between the uh, different people groups from the, the coast to the 
uh, Sierra and down to the Amazonia, how they uh, are actually relate to each other because they would have such different lives, really. Um, their landscapes dictate their their life, and uh, but they're all sort of one one country. Uh, so I thought that yeah. was uh, yeah was was quite a cool part of visiting Ecuador. I uh, probably didn't expect quite as much rain as what we had in the race, yeah. uh, but maybe I should have done more research. <laughs> well, you know, what's just what difference does it make? It's going to rain or it's not going to rain, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've yeah. always been one who probably overpacks for a race, and this time I took less clothes than what I normally would to travel to the event, and then I had. Mm-hmm. More clothes sitting in the bag that didn't actually make it into the boxes because of uh, quite tight uh, weight restrictions, and then in the end, everything I wore was uh, wet and muddy by the end of the race. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I remember the last day I was I, I had been saving a pair of pants <laughs> for the end of the race, and I went to find them and I couldn't because I didn't pack them. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's just like I was almost depressed because I didn't have any clean clothes to wear. <laughs> well, that's right. And then you had a moment. In yeah, not then. to mention. Yeah, not to mention everybody on the plane probably wasn't real happy either. But <laughs> so, uh, you know, the thing that I thought was real interesting and surprised me is how insular villages were. I mean, you. Our guide would be, our driver would stop and ask somebody where a town 20K was, and they'd never heard of it. Yeah, okay. You know, but, it, and then you stop to think, well, they've, you know, they don't have to go more than 20K away from their house. So it, it just, that really surprised me how small of an area they lived in. Yeah, yeah. No, it certainly was a, it was an interesting culture. Yeah. But, um, so... I don't, you know, we don't need to talk about everything in the race because I think I've seen some race reports and people can find them. But um, tell tell people about the finish. <laughs> okay. Because I got to say, it was one of the coolest things that I've ever been involved with in a race ever. So, you know, just kind of, you know, tell us about that last half day. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I certainly think it was something quite cool to be involved in as well and you know it's not often uh, that you have a team run across the finish line and there's 30 or 40 people there and they're totally unexpected as to which team actually finishes so uh, we uh, had a few little troubles on the the last jungle trek uh, and got passed by Adidas, Terex, and uh, Raid Light, who we'd seen a lot of during the race, uh, lots of toing and froing with those guys. And we got to the end of the start of the paddle, and we were, I think, about half an hour down on Raid Light and an hour or so on Adidas. And uh, we, I guess, uh, we still had small hopes, but I'm a bit more of a realist thinking that uh, it's going to be pretty hard to to peg back that time in a sort of nine or 10 hour battle mm-hmm. or whatever it was. But we, uh, we made a smart move, I think, to uh, tie the boats together and, uh, and just paddle together as one for the whole time, which I think really helped when you got out in the, the windy sections and the tidal sections later, it just kept the boats together uh, and, and made us more efficient. Um, so when we, quite a few hours into the paddle, there was a, a bit of an out and back to a checkpoint and we got a glimpse of the other teams and so that spurred us on quite a bit because they weren't uh, didn't seem too far in front but then uh, when we were going the same direction as them we we just lost sight of them and couldn't see them so you kind of thought oh well they must have been a lot further in front than what we thought uh, and then it wasn't until we were maybe like the last two hours of the paddle where we got a a glimpse of a team uh, and that sort of again we pushed really hard we were into the tide there it was really hard work we just felt like you were going nowhere but 
eventually we got into the uh, the estuary, and we well, we thought within sort of catching distance of uh, raid light it was, and worked really hard to catch up to them. Um, but then it was kind of funny. Yeah, as we passed them, we realised that one of their teammates only had half a paddle because they'd broken it <laughs> on the previous paddle, and it was almost like a big anti-climax for us because we we just felt sorry for them. We're like, well. No wonder we caught them. They're down half a man. Uh, but then they, uh, we had a, took a few sort of, no, I'm not say wrong turns, but uh, the, because of the tide levels, there was uh, some mud flats all over the place, and you weren't sure where you could get through or not. And Raid Light kept on catching back up to us as we uh, pulled across the mud flats, and uh, and we had. A, you know, it was a little bit tricky to find the the takeout of that kayak as well. It wasn't particularly well marked from from a distance to be able to see it. Uh, but when we got close, we we'd seen another team and kind of figured it was Adidas, but we didn't really know. And then they disappeared, and we're like, well, I don't think they're more than ten minutes in front of us, so we'll see what happens. And pulled our boats out, a very frantic. Uh, transition uh, because Ray Light were still only two minutes behind us and pulling up as we were about to leave and at that TA we we thought we were in fifth uh, but we're never quite sure so we thought well we've passed Adidas somewhere and we took off on that run at a phenomenal speed uh, everyone was just sort of on a bit of a uh, high sort of thinking that yeah, we've worked hard and we finally we've moved from seventh to fifth and that four kilometre run was kind of over in no time and by the time we got out to the final beach with what was about 500 metres to go we had sort of we backed it off a little bit we sort of thought no team's going to catch us when we're running at that speed and uh, then we started looking for the finish line which was quite hard to know exactly where it on a one to fifty thousand map, uh, and you know, we spotted a few bars that had lots of lights and things like. Oh, maybe that's it. No, oh, no, no, that's not it. Keep running along, and then suddenly there was like all these people walking off the beach. We started filtering away through them, and the next thing you know, someone spotted another team, and we're like, we all had different stories about who we thought it was. I thought it was Adidas, that they must have been in front of us. Jason thought it was Raid Light, that they'd taken a sneaky path to get there and had passed us. Uh, so we were already running pretty fast, but we picked up the pace and moved past the team and only then realising that it was uh, Jackie and Mimi and uh, the French team and uh, kind of kept on running. They... They slowed down when they realised that the, the race was over and uh, we sort of just kept on running, waiting for this finish line that just seemed to take forever to get to. And uh, it was a, was a pretty awesome feeling when we crossed the line. We still didn't know what position we were in at that stage. And uh, the rest is history as we realised that we were in fourth place and pretty happy with our last couple of hours of racing. It sort of all fell into position. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's one of those things that, you know, pretty cliche, but don't stop till you cross the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. well, you know, it's... We talked about with uh, Kyle, uh, the captain, was in it. They finished with equal third place with Adidas last year. And through yes. the race, we talked about the fact that there was going to be no holding hands across the finish line this year. And we were mm. racing to the you know, to the final banner, and and that's what we did, and and got the rewards for it in the end. Yeah, it it's it, it was just an amazing scene. Um, you know, obviously you guys were you know super pumped. You know, the French, uh, let's say, not super pumped about their result. <laughs> but and then and then ten minutes later, it happens again. Yeah. With, with Ray Light and Adidas, so yeah, that's right. It was, 
it was just a really interesting in um, way of finishing. So, um, you know, and, and part of that, you know, obviously had to do with, with the penalties and stuff. How did you guys handle the, the four-hour penalty? I mean, obviously you probably weren't happy with it, but. No, no, we certainly weren't happy with it. Uh, we I guess we left that at CA four, I think it was, where we found out about the penalty. We had planned to sleep there, and and we did sleep. But from what I remember, we we, we changed our the time. We reduced the amount of time that we we're going to spend there because we figured that uh, we're going to have to have another three, four hours stop not too far away. So in hindsight, I think that cost us because um, we left that TA with an hour and a half sleep where maybe we should have had two and a half and uh, then went on to make quite a bad nav mistake, which I think you can only attribute to tiredness and a few other sort of factors involved. So that changed our race quite dramatically. Um, the fact that we were needed to stop for four hours, we already knew it was going to be quite close to make the, the kayaking dark zone. Uh, yeah. And then when we'd made the error, nav error as well, it just cut it out altogether. So really changed the, the race dynamic. Uh, when we actually left that TA, we we thought, expected that the, um, the penalty would probably have been cancelled by the time that we got to... Uh, TA5, uh, seeing as if 47 teams go the wrong way, then perhaps there's a problem in communications there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is what it is, and we just had to try and fight for the rest, really. Yeah. I mean, it's almost not even so much that it, it is a four-hour penalty. It's just that it, it threw up. It threw off the whole rest of the race, all your calculations and everything you had planned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, having read some of the reports and feedback, and so particularly from the French team, they were. You know, I can totally understand their frustrations around that, the penalty and the changing of where the penalty was taken uh, at. Was it TA five or six instead of TA nine? And yeah. that would have we uh, probably still wouldn't have made finished the kayak, but we would have been a long way through it if the penalty was taken at a different uh, part of the race. Um, so that yeah. certainly did change it. And then it turned out that we were basically in a in a battle for fifth place onwards when we're at the dark zone and we've got caught by about the next 10 teams behind us. Um, so we knew that we just had to sort of buckle down and finish the race as fast as possible uh, and not really think about too much what was happening in front of us. And as it turns out, we picked up you know one spot in front of us and, and kept everyone behind us. So that was... Um, you know, really as good as what we could have expected from our position. Yeah. So um, going into the race, if you if you just at the start of the race, somebody had said you're going to finish fourth, would you have been said that? Oh, yeah, that's about what we think, or we're going to do a little better, or you know, how how did you guys think you stacked up? Yeah. Look, I think else? that was probably where we'd hoped in our minds that we could finish and yeah. uh, a, a podium would have been really special. Fourth place, I, fourth to fifth was kind of, yeah, where we saw ourselves. Uh, Kyle actually had written up a, a bit of a race predictions, uh, which he posted on the Attack Point website. And yeah. when you go back and read it, he's – He's done incredibly well. He, he almost got every team in their position for about the first 15. So uh, barring unforeseen problems such as the silver pulling out, uh, things like that. But we, 
we kind of knew what we were capable of and uh, not never having raced as a four together, but we knowing that we could sort of tick most of the boxes of what you needed to to have in, to make up a team that's going to do well at the world champs. Well, we sort of filled all those boxes and it was just a matter of um, racing to our potential. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the, you know, you t- the top six, seven, all you guys are really um, right there together. I mean, physically wise, and it just comes down to the matter of, you know, one one little nav error or, you know, Seagate gets into the water just as the tide's going out, so they have, you know, they have a big big flow, you know. Yep. It's easy paddling, you know. Columbia gets in and, and they're almost scraping the bottom in the paddle. Yeah. So, you know, at that level, it is just those little lucky things and, and just it, it almost comes down to a matter of luck at that level with you guys. Yeah, look, you certainly put the – um, got it right in terms of the, the physical capabilities of those top seven teams uh, or eight teams in the race that they were really similar. And while the teams aren't travelling along together all the time, they're all travelling at, at pretty similar speeds. And and those top teams, they don't have any weak legs either. So yeah. the only thing that does separate them is, uh, I guess how slick you are in transition and, and just limiting mistakes along the way. So you, it's, unfortunately when, uh, when you do make a mistake, it's almost impossible to, to claw it back uh, unless you're, you know, just brilliant on a leg or you do get that luck of you know, possible tides and finishing a really tough section just before dark and things like that. But the, the quality of the, the top teams is, is just incredible at the moment and, um, yeah, really makes for really close racing. Yeah. So when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're battling with Adidas or Raid Light, do you kind of – if you guys are close, do you kind of actually track together and walk together and chat or, or do you try to get away from them? Yeah, well, a, a, a bit of a Like we had yeah. such an incredible battle with Raid Light in particular. And uh, look, my French isn't very good and uh, and they speak a little bit of English and it was just kind of quite comical in the end that we were easily the faster moving team, but they were just mm-hmm. so smooth in the terrain and hardly made any mistakes that well, that I saw. And so we just kept on uh, getting past and then passing, getting past and passing. And uh, look, we certainly have a great respect uh, for their team and the, and the race. Um, we travel along with them for sections, but uh, generally when another team's around, it kind of does motivate you to, to get a move on and try to mm-hmm. you know, put a bit of a gap on them. Adidas, we, we didn't see quite as much. Uh, but we always knew they were around and were you know, definitely sort of worried about having a close tussle with them at the finish because uh, they're you know, a very experienced team and we knew that they'd, uh, yeah. they'd put up a good fight. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm going to talk to Nick next week, so we'll see what he thinks about fighting with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so, hey, you know, Hell of a race. That's all we need to say, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it was. So, um, let's talk about you. Okay. How, how did you get, and in case you're wondering, that uh, my bird Stevie is with me. So, you've, you've got your boy, yeah. I've got my bird. So, <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I always tell people, don't expect this podcast to be professional. So, we got our birds and our kids. But um, So, how did, how did you get started doing adventure races what was your background yeah well look i've been adventure racing now for 10 years and my background before that ever since i was a, a kid was uh, in orienteering which i started with my parents and always loved it uh, heavily involved in my teenage years in uh, the new south wales 
which is my state uh, junior squad, and most of my best friends came out of uh, my orienteering circles. Went to the World Junior Championships a couple of times, and and then World Cups around the world. And then, uh, yeah, it was, I guess, I got thrown in the deep end a little bit with adventure racing. I, I went to uh, New Zealand one June, uh, first weekend in June a couple of years ago, and uh, and met a friend of mine and who said, oh, you should, there's this race on next weekend in Australia. You should, you'd love it. You should um, try and get in a team and explained that that was the, the GeoQuest 48-hour adventure race and uh sounded interesting and uh went back home hopped on sleep monsters and saw a couple of teams looking for a team member and signed up so sort of four days later i was at the start line of um of my first sort of multi-day adventure race um having never done anything like that before and oh after, after that i guess you'd say i was hooked and uh, did a lot more sprint races in the the, the next few years, which um, was a, a great series organised by Tom and uh, Tom Landon Smith and Elena McMaster of Team A Rock, and uh, that's really what sort of consolidated uh, my love of the sport. Was doing these races with uh, with my brother and some of the other orienteers that I knew, and uh, then. 2005, met uh, Damon Gurk and Kim Willix and Josh Street and uh, did the GeoQuest, the next, uh, my third GeoQuest, I think, by then, with those guys. And that sort of started my, um, was this, built the team that uh, I then raced with uh, sort of for, uh, well, almost up until now. It's only been the last sort of, Two years that I haven't done as many races with those guys as uh, as the population explosion of uh, of Team Blackheart went from two children to uh, five children, six children <laughs> recently. So uh, yeah, it's, I've tried to juggle sort of competitive orienteering with adventure racing really for the last ten years, and so uh, focus kind of changes depending on what's next on the calendar. Do you do you have a preference for either one, or did, is it just whichever one's next is your favorite? Yeah, pretty much. I each time I make a uh, a nav mistake in an adventure race, I retire from the sport and say I'm going to concentrate on shorter, funner events. But then I've generally forgotten that by the time I get to the finish line, finish fourth at the World Champs. I'm certainly uh, keen to continue, but uh, nothing will, um, I don't think, will sort of beat my love of orienteering. It's um, it's just such a, a great sport to be involved in, always such a challenge. And uh, and the best thing is you can sort of back up every day and do another race. If you do have a bad day, you, there's always, always tomorrow or the next race, whereas I guess um, adventure racing, the frustrating part is you can only do a couple of big races a year and uh, you've it's just so hard to get it all right on the day or, or on the week. And um, yeah. and if you don't, then it's, it's a long time to wait for the next race to redeem yourself. Uh, but, you know, once you start doing long races, you realise there's nothing quite like the the challenge and the, um, the satisfaction you get from completing a, an expedition adventure race. Yeah, I can I can see that on on people's faces when they're done. It's just I, I don't want to say it's a life changing thing, but it's pretty, oh, pretty important. It certainly is. I would yeah. say it definitely is life changing, and yeah, you don't see the world as the, the same place once you've start doing yeah. expeditions. So, yeah. so when you started orienteering with with your parents, did, was there like a did you have formal training for orienteering or is it just because you've done it so long that, that you really are good at it? Uh, look, I wouldn't have said I had any formal training to start with. It was just a matter of going out with mum or dad and, and learning the basics and then 
picking up as, as you went along, but I was lucky um, to you know, get some good coaching when I was in the, these, the junior squads and um, go on national orienteering training camps and things like that. There was some, definitely some good coaching resources. Uh, how that relates to adventure racing is uh, it's definitely a, a whole different world. You take a lot of the good skills that I do have from orienteering and a lot of them are um, transferable to adventure racing navigation, but then uh, quite a few of them are not also. And uh, it's, you know, sometimes the the mistakes you make um, while you're still a good uh, navigator might be because you haven't sort of um, changed your technique from, being a, a good orienteer to to being an adventure racer. So, well, so um, do you do you find that a little bit hard? Like, so you've got a World Cup coming up, right? Orienteering a few weeks. Yeah, that's right. So, do you have to when you're getting ready for that really change over from the adventure race mindset to the orienteering? mindset yeah it's not actually hard to go back the other way i don't think um when i go orienteering it's it's just easy to fall back into the routine of Mm. of being an orienteer you don't uh i guess i don't really have any carryover of of any of the technique changes that i make to be an adventure racer it's Mm. it's going from orienteering to adventure racing that is the hard part um for me anyway so i find i can fall back into orienteering technique quite easily yeah that's uh, it it's interesting to see that so um so i've got a question that i've never asked anybody before <laughs> and we'll see, and we'll see if you have an answer but and i don't know how much of a student of the history of adventure racing you are but is there a team and a race that you would love to go back in time and be part of? Oh, yeah. Good question. Uh, oh, look, I certainly am a bit of a student of adventure racing, although yeah. not really been around long enough to know the, the full history of the Eco Challenges and that type of thing. I certainly wish yeah. that I had have been uh, in the sport that long ago to to be involved. Uh, look, certainly in terms of races, uh, one that I, I wish I had have been there for was uh, Primal Quest Moab. Uh, it was probably when I was you know, only just getting into the sport and followed that one online. And uh, everyone I've spoken to did that race, sort of talks good things about it. And uh, I quite like racing in the heat. And I've done a bit of traveling around that part of America now and I, mm-hmm. I just think that 100 teams uh, the Primal Quest sort of atmosphere just would have been um, would have been amazing uh, yeah. another one I guess would be if I was to do an Eco Challenge it would have been great to do uh, Eco Challenge in Australia uh, although it's been a while sort of since I've watched the, the video of that um, definitely a lot of legends in the sport uh, and then if I was to to pick a team to race with, I'd, I think it would have been uh, great to be involved in uh, Team A-Rock when, when 10 years ago, I guess, when they were sort of at their peak and starting to take it to the rest of the world with with placings in uh, Primal Quest. Oh, I can't remember exactly what year, maybe 2002, 2003. Um, great fun bunch of people that I, I know quite well and uh, such a great passion for the sport. And I, I think I would have just loved the, the opportunity to to be able to do a race with them. And they were sort of racing, winning races for the first few years that I was in the sport. Uh, but then they kind of took a step backwards and were organising races and started a, fa- a family as well. And I guess it would have... Mm. Would have been nice as well to 
have had a bit more of a battle with those guys as we were an up and coming team and they were the top dogs, but um, that that didn't really happen. But um, yeah, certainly would have loved to have raced with uh, with uh, Tom and Alina and Matt and 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 Nigel. Yeah. 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 Well, it is a. I, I was wondering if if people would have an answer for that question. So yeah, no, definitely um, a good one to answer. Yeah. So here's the other. Th- this is my stock question, and if I because if I don't ask it, people call me out on it. But um, your best and worst six hours ever racing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've definitely had a bit of uh, time to prepare for this one as I'm <laughs> listening to your podcast, and I knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Normally, the, the worst six hours is the You're is fine. the most recent mistake I've made. But okay. the first, the, the worst one of all time, I guess, would be uh, in uh, Venture Racing World Champs 2011 in Tasmania. Uh, we made a mistake that was was pretty famous. Um, we'd been having a pretty good race, kind of for the first half, and then. Things started to fall apart a bit and made a few errors and on the uh, Arthur River paddle. We were in a sort of a good battle with, I think, what was about fourth place through to tenth place, all quite close on the river. And we got surprised a little bit by a rapid and uh, weren't quite prepared for it. Went for a swim, uh, Josh and I, and didn't have the map secured closely to the boat and ended up losing the map. Uh, there was only one checkpoint on that, or one more checkpoint on that leg, which was up a side creek. And seeing as we had other teams around us, we thought, oh, that's all right. We'll just keep paddling and we'll see one of the other teams go up. And we had a team just behind us as well. It's all right. We'll uh, we'll find the way, and uh, kept on paddling and paddling and went round a, a corner and couldn't see the team in front. But uh, when we caught back, got round that corner, we could see them again and no worries. Um, we thought it'd be quite a bit further to get to that checkpoint, but the river was actually flowing quite fast. We didn't realise how quickly we were moving, and. Uh, Kept on paddling and paddling, following this, catching up to this team slowly, and then we finally caught them. And it was uh, it was <laughs> our friendly rivals from Great Britain, uh, Adidas. <laughs> and uh, just as we got there, we saw a bridge and realised, started to wonder where we were, and realised that we'd actually paddled all the way to the finish of that leg. And had missed the checkpoint, and uh, team pulled up behind us, which actually had um, my fiance Catherine in the team, and uh, a couple of good friends. And they said, "Oh no, we'd we'd just been following you guys. You figured you'd know where you're going." So they'd paddled past, got sort of misplaced, and paddled straight past us as well. So yeah. we pulled up into TA, and had a bit of a discussion with the officials and realised, you know, obviously if we we're going to miss that checkpoint, it was going to be quite a big penalty and uh, a bit more discussions about how we we're going to go back and get it, seeing as we couldn't really paddle back upstream in the river that was flowing downstream and uh, decided that we we're going to walk back and get the checkpoint, which was uh, a 40-kilometre round trip and uh, took us 12 hours, took us about 11 hours. Uh, So there were certainly some pretty dark moments in that, I'll I'll say the worst 12 hours of adventure racing for me. And uh, (laughs) a a real death march through the night. Uh, But, look, we... We're happy with the decision we made in the end. It meant that we mm-hmm. finished the full course. We weren't reliant on uh, getting a penalty from the organisers. And uh, we sort of finished that trek uh, not long before dark, had a bit of a sleep, 
for an hour or so, and then all the teams that have been sleeping on the river were then uh, snapping at our heels for the rest of the race, but we kind of managed to just stay in front of them. But yeah, so that's the worst mistake that I've made, or you know, then the the best six hours. Uh, I know you say it's always easy to come up with your worst ones, and, and it is. I think that from uh, yeah, my my favourite six hours was in God's Own, uh, two thousand and twelve. I think it would have been two thousand twelve or thirteen. Uh, the start of the race was at Mount Cook, which is um, sort of the mountain region in New Zealand, and Started off with a big steep climb and then a bit of uh, glacier travel with the ropes, which I really enjoyed. It was just a perfect day. And then we descend back, descended back into the valley for a bit of a run and then hopped in um, the boats for raft, uh, yeah, rafting section, uh, or canoeing section in the inflatable boats uh, out of the Tasman Glacier. Just amazing views and then a really fun sort of uh, canoe down through the braided river and lots of rapids and everything. And it was just a great, <laughs> great start to the race that day. I, I couldn't really think of a better start. So, Yeah. Sounds cool. So what's your favorite part of adventure racing? Trekking, biking, kayaking, uh, yeah. You know, do, do you have one that you like better than the others? Well, I think I always feel more comfortable when we get on the trekking stages, and mm-hmm. that's just due to general background of time on feet. And the rougher, the better for me. I, I, yeah. I tend to like the really uh, rough, rocky, mountainous areas. So, but you know, like most adventure races, you're always looking forward to the next leg, so you can get off your feet or get off the bike or get out of the kayak um, generally yeah. i don't look forward to the kayaking sections as much but then they are some of the most enjoyable ones as well like say that god's own race had um, some of the best paddling legs and um, they some of them are tough slogs but quite uh plenty of good memorable paddles in there as well uh, yeah cool so uh, we're getting I've used up a lot of your time, but a couple couple of last things. Um, you gonna do some more races with Technu? Yeah, look, we uh, had a little discussion about it in uh, Ecuador. I think we all needed to to come home and sort of think about how the race went. And for me, particularly, it was yeah. more important to come home and and talk to my wife Catherine and and also. For me, particularly, it's uh, getting out of uh, work commitments uh, yeah. as to to uh, what I can do next year. And mm-hmm. I guess I've, I've put a lot of effort into the World Champs this year, thinking that, well, if, it, if this is my last opportunity, then I really want to make the most of it. Uh, and... But, but at this stage, yeah, it's it's looking like I'll probably try to do another two races with them, 2015. Um, Expedition Africa star, Expedition Alaska certainly sounds interesting, and I'm, I know yeah. the team plans to go to that one. So I'd yeah, really like to get over back to North America in June and then uh, already sort of looking at the dates and logistics and things involved in uh, the world championships in in brazil uh, brazil because oh, i guess when you've got a, a good team and we still feel like we can go a lot better so um still a bit of unfinished yeah. business in terms of uh getting on the podium at the world championships do you, and do you think that if you guys do a couple more races together how much how much do you think that improves your chances for worlds uh, quite a lot, I think. I, um, yeah, the two races we did this year, uh, we had uh, slightly different lineups, um, but mm-hmm. uh, I love racing with with all of those teammates. Uh, we still, I think, that in the, the the 
pre-planning stages and uh, the organisation is is where you fall down a little bit when you don't know your teammates as well and you're not quite as dialed in who does what and um, that can be a little bit inefficient as well. Uh, still just learning the, the strengths and weaknesses of your teammates. Uh, I'm yet to find weaknesses with with some of them, which uh, <laughs> which is what makes it a great team. Uh, but yeah, just uh, yeah, I know. Say um, in terms of my weaknesses, the teammates probably haven't picked up on the cues that you know when I'm getting tired and might need a bit of help with Nav. Uh, that they'll get better at time, and uh, I know mm. my previous teammates have been able to handle that quite well and knowing that, you know, for 90% of the race, I'm going to, 95%, I'm going to be really on the nav, but when they can see that I'm getting a bit tired, uh, we're going to have to be a bit more careful. Um, so, yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely some in, improvements we can be made. And it's not likely that we're ever going to get together for uh, sponsored training camps in high altitude places or anything like you know some of the other teams might be able to do. But uh, <laughs> with tech, you yeah. know, I, I know that those the team is going to turn up to the race really well pre- prepared, and as long as the personalities mix and we've got all the right characteristics of of being a, a champion team. Yeah. Well, and then there's the most important thing is. Now I can't, I can't make fun of you because you're the only one on the team that hasn't been on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Look, I've I've really um, enjoyed yeah. listening to the podcast the last few months, Randy, and uh, you made point mm-hmm. people liking to be able to download it and go training with it. Well, yeah, when I've been riding to and from work, I've been uh, downloading and sort of listening to about the last 20 or 30 now. So um, huh. no, it's been really oh. good. Good. Well, I'll take I'll take one um, percent of the credit for everything you've done. How's that sound? Oh, yep, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you go. Enjoy the day. I think I'm going to take Chili out in the snow for a while, and uh, you know how we end it by telling you to go fast and take chances. And thanks. All right. Thanks for your time, Randy. Okay. Well, we'll see you uh, and, and somewhere next uh, year. Hopefully, the listeners can understand my australian accent because my teammates don't and i have to repeat (laughs) everything about three times until one of them understands and then translates for the rest of the team (laughs) (laughs) well i think we've had it we've had enough australians on that i think the listeners have 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 got an ear for you okay that's good all right thank you see you randy all right bye Like a bird up in 
bunch of my friends I've got a song, I ain't got no melody I'm gonna sing it to my friend When I go around and say Fly high. 